Let's go, Jack. I'm red hot. <laughs> Thank you for that. I needed that as I was drinking the soda here. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. And I'm Tim. That's right. I booted Fanboy out of the booth for this go-round. Actually, he voluntarily left to go on two weeks of vacation. Yeah, what's so, that about? Tim, thanks for stepping in. You're welcome. I thought it was weird when you got us into a room, broke that pool cue in half, and told us that there was one opening left for the podcast. I thought that was a little dramatic. Um, honestly, it's been done, but I, I defeated Paul is what I'm getting at. That's true. Yeah. When I say vacation, it should be with air quotes because he's been permanently retired. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who can't see Jake right now, he is doing a lot of air quotes. Chris Farley style, you know, yes. back from weekend update. Yeah. Because I don't wipe properly. <laughs> Just the nonstop air quotes. Exactly. That's right. Uh, Paul had to, he had to be retired permanently with a pool cue, uh, mm. half of a pool cue to be accurate. Yeah. But his retirement will only actually be semi-permanent and he will be back on a future episode. We miss you, Paul. You know, as a regular listener of your show, I am also joining the rest of your listeners and being disappointed that Paul's not here. <laughs> Tim, yeah, you had a you had a like segment suggestion that I was actually going to do for this episode before uh-huh. I found out that my co-host was traveling somewhere into the unknown. And I thought, you know, I could do this with Tim, but he asked for me and Paul to talk about this. And it's I'm true. sure he'd be very disappointed just to hear himself talk about it. It's true. And you guys have kind of touched on it over the episodes anyway. Not not directly, but you've touched on that topic. We won't no more teasing of what it is. You guys will talk about it later. But yeah, I wanted to leave that for you too. Because I do enjoy the Paul and Jake back and forth across your various episodes. I really have enjoyed that. Well, and for those of you who are newer to the newer friends of ours, Tim is an old friend of the show. Also a podcast creator in his mm-hmm. own right. Tim, give us a little plug for what you do in your free time. Yeah, so I right now... I am a co-host along with, right now there's five of us who run a podcast called The Current Gen Podcast. It's all video games. Although recently we've been dipping a little too much probably into TV shows and movies, but it's been a little bit of a slower year with video games. Not not completely stopped. There's some good stuff coming out, but it's been a great year if you are a gamer to catch up on old games. We talk about a lot of old games and we're just kind of binging shows, movies. You know, as movies are getting going again, some of these major releases, we're talking a lot about that stuff too, but... Anyway, it's called the Current Gen Podcast. The idea is all the current gaming stuff. We talk about it. We debate it. We rank stuff. We've even stolen. I say stolen like I'm not saying that word super seriously. Some ideas from you guys, some of your ranking ideas and stuff like that, because um, it just makes for a fun show when you force everyone on the podcast, whether they want to or not, to rank something. It just makes right. it more fun. Yeah. Lots of fights ensue. And yes, we did come up with the ranked list format. So no one's ever done that before. Yeah. It's yeah. completely original. Uh, so I do appreciate you acknowledging the fact you're, that you're welcome. You're copying from the best in that regard. <laughs> it has been, I will say, speaking of current gen, this is actually the first with this current gen, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox. Who cares? Because I don't care about Xbox, <laughs> whatever. It's the Xbox Series series. 
the Xbox Series series. Yeah, that's what I call it. Good. I uh, this is the first time I've bought a console at launch. That's right. I, I was one of the fortunate ones. My wife yeah, actually. I did. Yeah, got one. I we swooped in through Costco, got ourselves a bundle, yep. and I have to say I've been a little bit disappointed in the the new games coming out over the first year of this console's life cycle. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. And we talk about that a lot on the show. It's been a good year to catch up on stuff. It's been a bad year. If you just bought the new console, you're chomping at the bit to like, all right, let's see what technology can do now. It doesn't feel that different yet. There's a few experiences here and there. Like I think Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is a great example of like, this looks like something that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Maybe like in a Pixar or DreamWorks movie, you might see this. But that's few and far between. Most of what you experience these days, unless you've got a super high-powered PC, is going to be kind of what you've played on previous consoles. I do think that's going to change, though. I think starting early 2022, we're going to start seeing some exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to that. We, uh, yeah. I've been, to your point, I've actually been playing a PlayStation 4 game on my PlayStation yeah. 5, getting caught up on Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, so good. And you've pronounced it correctly. I, I always pronounce it like George W. Tsushima. Like I always say it. <laughs> I know it's wrong, but that's just how it comes out. You know those ghosts over in Tsushima? <laughs> I don't know. I like that Sashima. I like that Sashima better. Does he mean sashimi? I think he means sashimi. I think probably. Oh, God, God bless him. God bless his little heart. Speaking of W, marijuana. Oh, my gosh. I think I think W he he partook in the devil's weed a time he or did. two, and he probably pronounced it that way, marijuana, marijuana. Because <laughs> then he he speaks Spanish, right? So he probably throws that in there every once in a while. I don't know if he if he speaks Spanish or if I just think of Will Ferrell playing W. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of too. Speaking Spanish, or if I'm even going further back than that and going back to Chris Farley as the Hurricane. Where he plays oh, El Nino. El Nino. <laughs> See, this is why I listen to your show and I feel like I feel very comfortable on your show is because we don't actually know real history and politics. We know it based on what pop culture has told us about exactly. history and politics. I'm basing my my fact that George W. speaks Spanish on the fact <laughs> that Chris Farley could not speak Spanish in an SNL weekend update when he played El Nino. And that checks out. So I'm with you. The science is there, folks. It, it really is. We report, you decide. Uh, if this episode seemed random to you, that's because it's sponsored by Reefer Madness, a 1930s propaganda film, also maybe exploitation film. We're going to get into that mm-hmm. on this episode because Know-It-All did his research this time around. Uh-oh. As a good Know-It-All should. Good. Uh, based on the fact that we watched a movie called Reefer Madness, we decided it was also fitting to rank the best propaganda films of all time. And uh, that promises to be a rip-roaring ride. Because, it's going to be weird. Uh, you know what? What, prop- what propaganda to me might be very different than what it is to Tim. Yep. yep. You know, you think about all the people that said that uh, Frozen was some crazy Hollywood propaganda. Yeah. Trying to teach our kids that sisters shouldn't love each should love each other. The audacity. Do you remember? Do you remember? Like, did you pay attention to any of that hype back when Frozen came out at all? No, I ignored most of that, but I do know there are a lot of theories about what the secret messages are in movies like Frozen. Yes, I'm aware of those. Yeah. I, yep. I remember there was a, a small, thankfully a small and not very loud group that was trying to make a big stink about the fact that. 
true love was a sister's love. And I was just flabbergasted at, <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. I love my sister and she loves me. And I think that's true love. And I said that on a podcast so it can be clipped and I can live <laughs> in internet. Infamy. Yeah. It's going to make for a great GIF someday. You know, of course we're talking about agape familial love here, right? Of course. Frozen style. Of course. Yeah. And of course, we'll wrap up the show the way we always love to wrap up this show with the most least important thing. But now it's time for some reefer madness. Yes, I remember, just a young boy, under the influence of drugs, who killed his entire family with an axe. <laughs> I like that you let that hang in the air for a minute. That was important. A little bit of pause for gravitas. Yeah. Boy, did it work. I'm feeling the weight of that bad boy. Yeah. Reefer Madness. It is a movie that is now infamous. It's become a cult classic for potheads and stoners alike, because those are two very different things, potheads and stoners. Big difference. Can't wait to learn about this. Yeah. But uh, it's a 1930s film. Tim, I was a little bit worried. I didn't know a lot about Reefer Madness before watching it. Mm -hmm. And so when the movie started and they were trying to do the Star Wars scroll and there was some mm -hmm. real bad music playing over the top, I thought... Oh, yeah. Oh no, is this a silent film about marijuana? Yep, it had that vibe. I was a little bit worried that I was about to watch an hour-long silent film about marijuana. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I was very grateful that it was not a silent film so that we could hear all of the maniacal laughter. <laughs> without the giggling, how do you know how serious this issue is? Exactly. I mean, without a woman pulling her hair out with tears of laughter and joy mm -hmm. over a man being bludgeoned to death, what I presume... Was a fire poker. I think it was. Yeah. Which is an excellent weapon choice, by the way. Like my little segue here, Tim, is that like my zombie apocalypse items, like if mm -hmm. zombie apocalypse happens, you get two items. Yeah. I have always maintained since I was posed this question in high school that I would go with a banjo and an ice pick or a fire poker, you know, being the ice pick or fire poker. Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes they're kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they work. It's kind of a cool thing. Hot or cold, ice pick, fire poker. They work very similarly. They do indeed. And uh, so to see a man, to, like, to see it in action and so effective in a movie like Reefer Madness just really affirmed my choice. That's where you got your validation. I'm happy for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> what two items would you have in a zombie apocalypse? You know, I think I'd go with an axe because it can double as a weapon as well as a very useful tool in constructing or adjusting whatever shelter we're using. Got it. So axe, number one. Number two, I could go a bunch of different ways. I think I'd have to go with something that has to do with starting fire. And I don't know what that would be yet. Because if you use like a lighter, that's going to that's gonna drain real quick. Right. You use or matches, fire. you're going to use those all up. So maybe it'd be like a flint or something. I'd have to sure. learn survival st survivor style how to... Yeah. Something to start fire. Axe with your flint. Yeah, that's what I think I would do. It's a great segue that you would choose an axe because one of my favorite sequences was probably one that most people overlooked in Reefer Madness. And mm -hmm. that was the montage of like the government officials raiding the drug yeah. warehouse. And yeah. there was that fireman with the axe. 
And he was just doing the most ginger little taps on the door. And they just hung on that scene for a while. Do you recall? Like he would just swing and he'd like just put the little pokey edge of the axe into the wall. And it was like, oh, watch them bust into this warehouse. And he'd just swing at those little axe. I don't remember that, but I can imagine them on the set. Like, Frank, we've got one door. Okay. (laughs) Do not break this door. It's like just real, real ginger. Just, just kind of give a little love tap. We'll fix it in post, okay? Just swing, but then stop. We'll make it look good in post. Don't you worry. <laughs> You're not going to look like an idiot. <laughs> the premise of Reefer Madness, a mid-1930s propaganda film, is that uh, basically marijuana, mm. with an H, because mm-hmm. J's had not been invented yet, Correct. is uh, the world, the number one public threat in the world, and, or at least in America. And not just in the seedy underbelly, but to your high school All-Americans who may have one toke of the devil's weed and become murderous sex fiends. Yep. They go from practicing a play scene together in the backyard innocently, sweetly, with their mom looking on with loving eyes like, oh, look at these two sweet students just practicing for their play to, well, I won't spoil too much yet. I know we're going to get there but to a situation that requires a very intense court scene, lives are falling apart, if not ended. Communities ripped apart. Totally. Bye. And by the way, I did want to mention this. I I made sure to write this down because I saw it everywhere and I heard them say it several times. The menace of marijuana. It felt like they wanted to make sure that you didn't miss that marijuana was the villain, was the devil here. It was the, the bad menace. guy. Yeah, the menace. Yeah. It was basically, it was basically, I imagine when Heath Ledger was preparing for the Joker and trying to figure out how do I embody chaos? He just went back to Reefer Madness he and did. just watched the weed the entire movie. He absolutely did. I think that's where he got everything that he poured into the Joker was from Reefer Madness. Was re- this movie always called Reefer Madness? Because I feel like it was called something else. Before so like this. in the title card, it says like, this was also once called Tell Your Children. Oh, that's a, such a better title tell your children and by better i mean worse but you know this segment is called hurt so good am yeah, i right so it's true so tell your children i think would have been an even better cringy just horrible title but would have fit perfectly but yeah like you know tell your children what to love <laughs> just tell them others. tell them so i had never seen this movie until jake i thought he was my friend but he made me watch this now i'm not so sure but so i watched this for the first time this week and but i've heard it referenced before in various outlets or people have used it as a punchline. And I always kind of chuckle along, but I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was some sixties or seventies drug movie that I just wasn't allowed to watch. And I just didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. Like so, a Cheech and Chong film sort of thing. Yeah. I had right. no idea. I had no idea what this was. So this was very eye opening for me. And I thought they made, wasn't there a spoof version of this too? Like made later. Maybe there yeah, was so- for like people our age would probably be more familiar with reefer madness, the musical, uh, which was made for showtime in 2005. And it had Kristen bell and Nev Campbell and Alan Cumming and Anna Gasteyer, um, from SNL and was made as a musical and a spoof of this film. Got it. I've never seen that either. I have not, but that's, that's probably I, I probably would have seen trailers for it back in the day because that was right around the time where I just pretty much watched every trailer under the sun in the windy windows movie player. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever download the extra skins to make your movie player look cooler? 
I did, though I did that more with Winamp. With Winamp, right. Yeah, right, a lot of here. skins for Winamp for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, so yeah, I, I was previously sort of more under the impression that it was more of an actual drug film that in yeah. the line of your Chichen Chongs or your Half Bakes. Yep. And uh, what's interesting though, like to set the table a little bit further here is then as I started to, when I first suggested to Paul that we watch Reefer Madness for a Hurt So Good segment, I did look at like the Wikipedia page and I was like, oh, this is like a propaganda film. That's kind of fun. I actually had suggested it as like slash Hurt So Good or for our bad movie nights that we'll do with a little group of friends here in the Rocky Mountain area. And I was like, oh, it's an anti- uh, marijuana propaganda film and i thought that was actually like extra fun because we had just watched uh plan nine from outer space which is an anti-nuclear weapons propaganda film and i was like oh there's a lot of promise here but as i watched reefer madness and then i did some more research into reefer madness it's actually less likely that it's a pro anti-marijuana propaganda film in its intent really so in the 1930s, the production code uh, was pretty strict. You could not have a lot of, you know, language or drugs or violence or sexual content in films that were released into theaters. We were really strict. And uh, what was discovered, though, and that they started sort of this was the early end of what's now kind of called the exploitation film movement, was that. If you made a film that was supposedly showing the negative consequences in an educational, uh, with an educational bent, a propaganda film, that you could get away with showing more skin. So maybe a little, even a little bit of nudity, maybe some drug use, maybe some violence, maybe some dancing, since nudity leaves, leads to dancing, naturally. And so these low-budget production studios realized that for a really cheap and really fast, they could make these like move. They didn't have to do much plot. They didn't have to get a list actors and actresses because their allure would be, Hey, these movies will have more titillating content, drugs and violence and sex. And so they would make these anti quote unquote, anti drug films, marijuana, dope, whatever type of drugs or anti sex films like where people got gonorrhea or syphilis it's kind of when you start to dig into this there's a a, a good number of films in this oeuvre that are just an excuse mostly to show more what we would call a content caveat with paul ac type content in theaters so first of all good word usage there nice Thank french you. i really liked that um but you're saying this potentially was more of a marketing ploy than actually a warning they because they cared about people. Exactly. They would even make what they would call hot and cold cuts of the film. Whoa. The cold cut was the version that they could show to like the ratings board or to any yeah. local advisory councils like that they needed to get approval from to show them that, hey, this is a film that's against these things. It's a, you can it's show a, it to high schoolers and yeah. change their lives. It's an anti-drug film. Or it's an anti, you know, premarital sex film. And so they'd be, they get the green light to show it. And then people, but then you'd look at, like, you look at the poster for Reefer Madness, like on IMDb, 
and you see this this like young woman like laying in a tantalizing way and you can see her cleavage and you know you see a man kissing the neck of a woman and it says public enemy number one women cry for it men will die for it and adults only like it looks very much like what you imagine advertisements for like a nightclub in the 1930s might look like and so it was actually a marketing ploy to sell people salacious content. Whoa. See, that's mind-blowing. I really bought in completely to the idea of this just being, you know, someone who went a little overboard, got thought they were a little too creative with their script writing and stuff, and they simply were making a public service announcement, basically. Yeah. What What is extra interesting about Reefer Madness in that regard is that the legend around it goes, and it's possible that this is true due to the timeline. Like this was filmed in 1936, but not really released till 1938, 1939, that a religious group did actually film a lot of it, like, or at least pay for the production of a lot of it, but then didn't ever get it out and like into being released. And that one of these exploitation filmmakers found it and was like, Hey, I can add a couple of scenes in here that are, little you know get a little extra skin in or a little extra dancing a little extra drug use whatever great for the hot cut see yeah (laughs) and like so he basically just filmed a couple extra scenes to slap into the middle of it like a scene of a woman pulling up her pantyhose that was presumably like reportedly not in the original cut of the film wow all right well you've really done your homework you truly are the know-it-all for this movie this is impressive I stayed up till like one in the morning digging into the <laughs> the background because I was so fascinated with this. Like, hey, we'll make anti-drug movies to actually be like pro-drug movies. And we'll make anti-sex movies to actually be sex movies. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember watching back, whether it was health class or just general public school, what make all the kids watch this and they were warning against drunk driving or premarital sex because you're going to have a baby and ruin your life. Like whatever the video was, they wanted teenagers to watch. I remember these things they would like make us watch and they never even showed, at least not that I can remember the one, they never even showed like a potential of this is going to be kind of fun at first. It was always bad from start, middle to finish. Like everything about it was bad. Everything about drinking is bad. Everything like all of it's bad. But this, I thought, and I'm sure we'll get into it. It went out of its way to really, show a lot of like the fun, the giggling, the silliness, the promiscuity, the, you know, how everyone's relaxing and chilled and you can finally like loosen your tie. Everyone else is all buttoned up real tight and kind of, but the people in this apartment where all the reefer madness was happening, uh, they were pretty relaxed, you know? So there was something about it that I wondered, Hey, did this backfire? Were there young people back then who saw this and were like, Hey, that looks pretty fun. I have no idea. Right. Actually drew people in let me let's get into it right now because that was exactly my thought was watching this like from the get-go the the old crotchety stern sourpuss face guy who starts (laughs) talking at the beginning i my immediate thought was oh every teenager who would watch this would immediately think like that guy's the worst i'm going to do the opposite of whatever he says Yep. You could cast him in any movie that centers around like a sports team trying to overcome all odds or like a school scene or something. He's the villain. He's the mean principal or whatever he is. Like he's a villain. He kind of had that look. Right. 
like we say weed is the villain, but ulti- we said that earlier, but ultimately the what goes wrong, all the abject chaos from manslaughter to like adults trying to rape children basically to uh, murder and beyond end up feeling so over the top and ridiculous as to be completely meaningless for effect. Yeah. In, in my opinion, obviously I'm not a, somebody from the 1930s, but uh, like, I don't think people in the 1930s were stupid. They you might've been though. I mean, they didn't have the ability to become the know-it-all like you do today. <laughs> they couldn't use um, Google the way I can. They couldn't use Google. They had libraries, but I'm not sure they were much more motivated than we are to actually go and just start self-teaching at a library. So my assumption is there's a higher, let's just say higher potential for that type of messaging to work than it would today. Sure. I just, I'm not saying it did. I'm just saying I feel like the potential is higher. Yeah. But to your point, it seemed like for the most part, most of the people doing drugs were just fine. It right. really only went bad for like three people. Yeah, there was a whole party of people in there. Yeah. There were yeah. dozens of people getting high, smoking weed and playing piano and having The guy fun playing and... piano, can we just say, was having the time of his life. That's right. No one's had more fun playing piano than that guy did. And it looked like the way he the way he and pretty much everybody else smoked marijuana in the film looked like they were playing a harmonica. Like they used two <laughs> hands and their hands were their fingers were like flapping up and down like as they puff their smoke. Yeah, I assumed that was their way of not actually making every actor smoke and the rest of them I assume just had cigarettes, but I I could be wrong on that one. Could be. I mean, maybe they were actually doing marijuana and Tim like maybe that's what marijuana really does to people. If they were really smoking marijuana to make this movie about the menace of marijuana, that creates an entirely new level of amazingness for this movie that we need to figure that out. Let's find that out. Yeah, because I think I think even Jim Brewer has said that he was not high for the making of the movie Half-Baked. He has said that. He always looks high. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he jokes about that, too, like how he always looks like he's on something. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because they it's uh, so (laughs) you've got. Like you said, you've got these teenagers, you've got your all-star tennis athlete, mm-hmm. theater nerd, yep. got his great girlfriend, but Tim, peer pressure. Peer right. pressure, if if marijuana is public enemy number one, peer pressure has got to be public enemy number two. It did have a very classic schoolroom video peer pressure scene where the girl sitting beside him is like, you're not scared, are you? Well, you can have some if you decide you're brave enough. Like it was that kind of a cringy peer pressure moment right that i don't ever remember being put in in high school and i went to public high school and i was certainly at parties and situations where people were uh partaking let's say but no one no one ever kind of sat beside me and gave me the old like elbow nudge like are you too scared to try this like that wasn't a thing i hope you're not a square (laughs) don't be a bozo (laughs) that was actually one of my favorite lines was that they repeated over and over again was no, they're okay. Like that was how you knew if somebody was cool as you said, they were okay. Yeah. And, and like people would decide if somebody else was okay within 30 tenths of a second. Yeah. They had very, they had much better perception because they didn't have cell phones. That's true. They weren't like looking down. They were staring right into someone's soul right away. Yeah. They could pick it up on it better than we can. You know, where the girl that this bartender the soda shop bartender has never seen comes in looking for the drug house. And he's <laughs> totally like, well, recover cop. And he's like, all right, no. I trust you. I'll tell you where it is. You're okay. 
He did say you're okay, didn't he? He did. He said you're okay. I didn't pick up on that, but you're right. They kept saying that. Well, you mentioned at the beginning the Star Wars scroll. To me, mm-hmm. like, I actually kind of, because it's on YouTube, by the way, if you're listening, you can go watch this for free on the old 1936 version or 1938 version. There, and you can watch it in black and white, or you can watch the colorized version. In, in its entirety, with some ads that interrupt you, but in its entirety, you can watch the entire thing. That's how I watched it. Uh, but I actually scrubbed back again to watch because it was so, it was just so different. Like this scrolling message that kind of felt like an angry letter that my grandma might have written to a school or something who decided to let a dance go on or what? Like it just had that vibe to it of like yes. a scoldy, a scolding older person. It felt like that guy, the intro, the the guy at the intro, the lawyer who kind of circles. I don't know if he's a lawyer or not, but the guy who's making the yeah. argument at the end in the trial and he kind of bookends the, the the whole movie um it seemed like something he wrote like it just had that vibe to it my favorite and it's and it happens at the end too he closes the whole movie with this but it said it it, it typed out about how this could be your son or daughter or yours or yours and it got like all caps and all bold and he looks right at the camera and, and so that's written at the beginning and i kind of had an idea they were trying to single out people in the audience that were watching this but he acts it out and he points to the side or yours and the other side or yours and then right at the camera or yours and then it fades out to the end <gasps> oh dude chills you know yeah and then all the parents looked right at their kids <laughs> no not a juana for you what is this reefer madness? I've never give me more reefers. <laughs> There's a scene. Uh, the the all star tennis player, the main yes. teenage guy, he comes back home to see his parents, and his little brother comes down the stairs. And uh, it's hard not to laugh at these moments when the little kid comes down. His dad's finally home from work, and he's sitting there reading the paper. And the kid runs over and says, "What do you have for me, Daddy?" It's like apparently his dad brings him something every day. But the mom comes over and she's still wearing her apron. She's clearly been slaving away in the kitchen because father's home now. Yeah. And she has to prepare everything. And so as the boy goes over and he asks his dad that she goes, and I wrote this down because it was so funny. Oh, uh, what what did she say? Oh, I lost it. Uh, Hang on. Oh, (laughs) she goes, don't bother your father every night. (laughs) (laughs) You can only bother him once, one night per week. And as a father... I passed this along to my wife and I was like, could you say this every once in a while when the kids are all up in my grill? She's like, no, you didn't take the note for the podcast. You took the note for your wife. It was a little bit of both um, selfishly, but it was little moments like that, that really, I I do appreciate that about all of these older movies where you have this very antiquated and yet now funny interaction between husband, wife, kids. And maybe for some, it's not so funny. Maybe for some, it's more painful. But for me, it was very funny to watch because I'm like, this would never fly today. Like, this is not, you can't do this today. Can't talk to your father every night. (laughs) He'll go thinking that he loves you. (laughs) Do you love me, father? Only if you do drugs. (laughs) Don't ask him anything. Leave him alone. He needs a drink. Like, yeah, that's not a thing anymore. Look at your brother, Bill. Go smoke some reefer. But when people, when they did finally start showing folks that were partying, which, by the way, the party kind of looked like a, a, a small gathering of friends at New Year's. Like someone's playing the piano. Everyone's had a few too many sips of champagne, maybe. Didn't look all that wild. Of course, there are other scenes that do get way out of hand really fast. But most of that kind of looked like 
I don't know. It almost reminded me of that movie Swing, where they're kind of having secret dance parties um, during over in uh, Eastern Europe. Do you remember this movie? I've never even heard of. Or this no, movie. Uh, Swing Kids. Swing Kids. That's I where they're doing heard of this movie. jazz dance, jazz and dancing. It's got Christian Bale actually. Oh yeah. Um, but it's like over in Eastern Europe during the Nazi regime, and they're not allowed to have this kind of music and this kind of dancing. So they have these secret underground or in apartment parties. It reminded me of a scene like that, and everyone's just kind of having a having a good time. But then when it shows them, when it cuts to them, uh, either taking a big drag on a joint or clearly they've just been smoking marijuana. And the, the way that they make the actors behave is so funny. Like yeah. it looks like they were on some serious LSD or dropped some major acid. Like they were part of a, a government test to see the effects of LSD on people or something. Like, Which statistically they, speaking, they probably were, they probably were, but the fact that they made it look like smoking some marijuana does this to people, that was hard not to laugh at. That was really, really funny to me. Yeah, especially since we know a lot more about how marijuana actually affects people as a narcotic, that the movie basically gets it completely opposite of what yeah. marijuana actually does. Yeah. You know, it in the movie, it causes people to drive fast and crazy. In real life, it actually causes people to drive slower and more right. hesitant. It doesn't or, make you jittery and talking super fast and jumping around. It like makes you lean back and want want a snack. Yeah, you know? I remember the first time I walked into a party in college where people I learned, you know, had been getting high with marijuana and I just walked into this room and I was like this room might have the least amount of energy that yeah. I've ever felt in a room. Yeah, it looks like nap time. Yeah, I was like, mm -hmm. this is the lamest thing I've ever been to. Like, everybody's just kind of chilling, sitting around, like, not doing much, having quiet conversations. I was like, I, what? Like, I, I thought college parties were ragers and there was kegs and people moving and dancing everywhere. And they were all just like chilling and like literally doing almost nothing. I mean, I worked at a pizza place for a few years in high school and college, and a couple of my coworkers, um, they liked to partake, let's say, especially on a slow night. And they very much were just relaxed. They would go lay down in the booth, you know, because it's just an empty night in the summertime. College is gone. I grew up in a college town. When college is out, it's an empty town. And they were just like tired, sleepy, kind of a little bit silly, but not, it wasn't crazy. And then I was watching this movie and I thought everyone's acting like David after dentist from yeah. that viral video that came out when the kids like freaking out in the backseat of his car. Everyone was acting like that kid. They were like seeing things kind of hallucinating, maybe going crazy. And so I do wonder if in that time, because everyone had such a lack of knowledge about this drug and probably most other drugs, was it pretty easy to accept this? Like, yep, that's probably what happens. And it probably made it easier for a lot more kids to get away with doing marijuana because their parents are looking for all these signs like maniacal laughter and jitters and speeding and stuff like that. Yeah. And so these kids would get high and just be chill and their parents would be like, I know for sure they're not using marijuana because I know what happens when you use marijuana and it is not napping. That circles back to what you said at the beginning. This was a pro-marijuana movie. It really was. It, it was got... to trick the parents to look for the wrong symptoms. Uh -huh. That way, the youth of America could get away with getting high on weed. Freaking genius. Wow. Wow. My See, mind is blown. The people in the 30s weren't stupid, Tim. 
This really does hurt so good. Just the adults. <laughs> what we learned here is that teenagers have always been smart and adults are idiots. That is very true. It's well, I was Go ahead. No, no, you got it. I was just going to say, I was really surprised at these crazy moments of assault and violence that would kind of come out of nowhere in a movie that, for the most part, even though there were certain moments that were kind of funny, made me chuckle, like it was hard to stay focused on this on this movie. Yes. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it would be an incredibly, like even for today, what is it now? 90 years later, almost 85 years later, shocking. It's like, whoa, there's, there's a full-on sexual assault happening right now. Right, or, we have a, a man assaulting a teenage girl and like trying to rip her clothes off. Regardless up. of the actor's ages, she was playing a high school student, right? Yeah, right. And he was playing some adult. We don't know how old, but... An adult. Wow. I mean, I was really surprised by that, as well as a few of the other scenes, including, like you mentioned earlier, someone being beat to death. Of course, someone gets shot in a scuffle, you know, over a handgun in the apartment. And so I... I was real. That kind of surprised me, and uh, it did, definitely took it to. I, I wasn't ready for that level. I didn't realize how mad the reefer madness would get. It would get crazy. I, had no I, idea. I will say that that attempted rape scene was probably the the most jarring. Yeah, of everything was. else that happened because one of the you know again just all the rest of it seems so over the top and ridiculous as to be comical. Whereas that you're like. Oh shoot. Yeah. When people get inebriated, like they do assault people who are under the influence. So you're like, it was this in the midst of where you're sort of laughing about the rest of this ridiculous film. You're like, Oh, I can't, that's really sad. Yeah. Then, it also went on for longer than I imagined. I feel like, especially for that time, I, I was just surprised that they made it that intense and that lengthy of a scene. Even when a guy comes in and kind of sees it and he's trying to shake off his, you know, hallucinating high that he's trying to deal with apparently. And he kind of stares at them for what seems like forever and then finally intervenes. And it was just like, man, this scene, they really went all out for this. It makes you wonder, like, was that actor the director? Was he the one? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, like, uh, we're going to hold on this one for a little while. And, yeah, it, uh, it was very uncomfortable. That part was definitely uncomfortable. It was. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, what we know is that marijuana causes you to go crazy. Yes. Murder people. Yes. Laugh when people get murdered. Of course. Commit suicide. You forgot. It also makes you really bad at tennis. Oh, yeah. That was one of my favorite descriptions. Yeah, that was in the trial. He actually used that as a piece of evidence that he's normally a great tennis player, but he was missing the ball by three or four feet, which is consistent with the inability to (laughs) properly judge space and distance or whatever. Yeah, to understand (laughs) your place in space and time. It's like... I mean, probably also that's probably one of the more accurate things you said, but also <laughs> I was uh, going to say, you probably are bad at tennis if you're super high. That's probably true. But also I have seen high schoolers miss tennis balls by a lot more than three or four feet. <laughs> I just imagine that guy going to like, just standing at a high school tennis, every high school tennis match he can go to with his arms folded. As soon as one kid whiffs, t- take him away. Yep. That kid's hi, the reaper. hi, hi. Yep. He's just calling him out. Ultimately, whoever doesn't, only the person that wins first place is allowed to go home. Everybody else is jailed for marijuana. Yeah, the trial was hilariously biased. Uh, again, despite what the real motivations of the filmmakers might have been, the trial was so funny. Like, it, it was like, this is more reefer straw man than reefer madness at this point. Like, it was mm-hmm. hilarious the how they were making it sound. And 
uh, I did. I had to highlight this part before. I don't know how much more we want to dig into it, but I had to highlight this part. There's a part where the jury goes back to discuss the verdict of this trial at the end of the movie. What are we going to do? And so they're all going around and they're very easily agreeing, by the way. Um, but then I, who I assume is the chairman of the jury, or at least some guy who's just given a speech, he stands up and he kind of stops and looks. And on the shadow of the wall is this swinging. It looks like the draw, the draw, the pull string for like a window shade. Yeah, you know, or, a fan, the, like or a fan or a fan. It's got like a little, a little hoop at the bottom and then a string and he sees the shadow of it. And then in his mind, it changes to a noose. <laughs> yes. And then that's when he decides to push for the death penalty. I was like, like, we got to hang this kid. I was like, what? He's the one who's clearly on reefer. Yes. I, mean, I was, was like, this guy's on drugs. <laughs> oh man. That part. I could not, that symbolism. Beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, in the cinematography, pretty great. I haven't seen cinematography that good from that era since uh, the Three Stooges when he goes to eat the hot dog and the hot dog becomes an actual dog. I mean, <laughs> high class stuff. It was, I watched the black and white version, so I don't know I if they've well. cleaned it up in other versions they've made. It was so hard to see. Like the lighting was so poor yep. and this could have just been the film quality over the years. Maybe there wasn't a good clean copy of it. I have no idea. There's lots of things it could be, but man, oh man, it was hard to see. Yeah, the story. So the story of like how it became to be a cult classic is that you know it spent a couple of years making the exploitation film circuit. Yeah, you know, getting the dollars for the kids that wanted to see the lady put on her pantyhose and watch other kids smoke the reefer, uh, and then it kind of disappeared probably after about fifteen or twenty years, and it's kind of okay. you know it ran out of people to dupe into. Uh, watching this exploitation film and then it kind of just stayed nobody really talked about it for almost two decades until like the early 70s when a guy was basically at the library of congress and he found it and realized that it was it there had been a snafu with the copyright so it was in the public domain and so he just bought it for like uh, 200 bucks or something like oh, that man. and used it to actually uh as pro he actually used it for pro marijuana uh efforts in california for years um and you know which to we've show agreed that, it's probably effective at that yeah because those that were sympathetic thought it was hilarious yeah because of how ridiculous it was and inaccurate it was and so that was where it started and then people were like can we get a copy of this and show it and he's like yeah it's fine it's public domain i assume so, it's a popular one for folks who want to sit around and get high and laugh at a movie together it's got to be a, a right it's now that. sort of become a rite of passage for those you know who are dipping their toes into the the devil's weed the menace of marijuana and <laughs> at, after a couple of years of making that circuit you know sort of quote unquote underground uh, a movie studio did actually buy a copy as well to distribute it even further because they realized that it was, uh, you know, had this cult market and that they could distribute it that way as well. And that studio Whoa. was New Line Cinema. Oh, my word. Who brought you Lord of the Rings. Wow. Just a few decades later. I would love to see that this movie lined up with those, with some of the movies that New Line is most proud of. Yeah. yeah. Though I'm watching The Fellowship of the Ring now with my oldest, who's just mm -hmm. finished reading the books, mm -hmm. and you forget how much the hobbits love their weed. They, they actually sure talk about smoking their tobacco. They call it weed in The Fellowship of the Ring. That's right. And so you're that. like, oh my gosh, it's an homage to Reefer Madness. Connected.
this is a pro marijuana it's film. Connected. Which, well, one of my favorite quotes at the end is when there's a character who comes to confess. She's feeling really guilty about the way things have transpired, and she comes in to confess. And the judge says, he basically asks her to clarify. He says, are you saying you want to plead guilty to fostering moral delinquency? <laughs> <laughs> so I did some Googling on my own so I could be the know-it-all. And I can't find anywhere where that was actually a chargeable offense. Oh, yeah. That was completely fabricated. Fostering moral delinquency, mm. which you could argue Jake is often doing during this show. Ooh. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Zing. <laughs> I am telling people to watch a pro. What we've now discovered through the end to this episode, through this segment, is a pro marijuana film. Right. Available for free on YouTube because it's in the public domain. Oof. Well, thanks for making me go through that. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm glad to enrich your life to foster some moral delinquency in your life. <laughs> you definitely did. Given how much fun we had learning that Reefer Madness uh, is actually a not a anti marijuana film but a pro marijuana film, we decided for Rank Geeks it was time to rank our favorite propaganda films using equally ridiculous measures. So, without let's just kick it over a segment and a half. We'll see you guys over there. Welcome to Rank Geeks. It's where two nerds of questionable odors put mm. things in numerical order. Mm -hmm. Paul always takes umbrage at that description, but the reality is it's true. It he is, is foul-smelling individual. <laughs> well, I was Most speaking for myself there. Not for, I was speaking of myself, uh, not of you, Paul. I think you smell lovely. But also a lot like reefer. <laughs> Anecdotally, I've never smelled it on him, uh, but yeah. I've heard stories that perhaps it's possible to smell it on people. So maybe people are learning a lot more about Paul's vacation right now. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We are here to rank drug movies. I'm switching it up on you, Tim. What favorite drug films? <laughs> I could probably do that off the top of my head. Let's get all the skeletons out of the closet. <laughs> Tell us what your favorite drug movie is and why is it half baked? I can, before we get into the actual rank geeks, I will tell you the first drug movie that I saw that I actually really did like, and to this day I have fond memories of watching, and that was Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah. I watched it with my brother and his friend, and I remember not really getting a lot of the drug elements, like just kind of understanding it makes people kind of weird, and it makes everyone talk like Matthew McConaughey is kind of what I thought. It makes everyone kind of go, all right, all right, all right, you know, like. Um, the opposite and, of Reefer Madness. Right. Yeah, and that's where he came. I'm pretty sure he either came up with the line or came up with a way to say the line. Uh, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Like it was like one of his classic lines. He's got a very small role in that movie, by the right. way. Yeah, it's uh, not a big role. Uh, but I mean, you're talking about Ben Affleck. I mean, there's all kinds of pretty big name actors in there. But anyway, that that probably be, I don't know if I've got a full list of five. But that one, whenever people talk about drug movies, I never watched the Cheech and Chong's movies i think i might have seen a tv edit of one of them one of those sundays when they didn't have an nfl game during either <laughs> second hour slot and so i just left that on i think it was one of those types of sundays if anyone can relate to that um but yeah that that's the only one i could think of is days of confused 
Top one. No, we are doing our favorite propaganda films of all time, ranking them five each and uh, using our own criteria, as we tend to do on this show, to decide what a propaganda film actually is. So, Tim, would you like to do the honors and go first here and give us your number five on your list of the best slash top slash most amazing slash most effective propaganda films of all time? Or actually, you want to tell us what criteria you used or is it like by film? So I went through a couple different ideas of how to rank these because I came up with a list of a whole bunch of movies that I've seen that I always felt like had a message, uh, a few others that are so obvious they didn't make the list. Things like Bowling for Columbine or Super Size Me, you know, like documentary style. Clearly. I personally left those off the list because that the whole point of those is they're trying to communicate a message. They, they're coming from a point of view. I went more with scripted and acted movies that maybe are a little trying to be a little more subtle in the messages they're conveying. So I, that's how I trimmed down some of these. A few that I skipped for example would be like all chuck norris movies like missing in action <laughs> when he's fighting against the vietnamese the evil of the vietnamese or uh, or like red dawn if you watched either of those very anti-communism so like some mm. of those didn't make the list um one other one that i've watched recently that i felt like had a lot of propaganda might be too strong of a word but it certainly had a point of view that the creators and writers are trying to get across and that was the tv show falcon and winter soldier i felt had some pretty strong points of view they wanted to make sure that we all heard before the finale um that's why i keep calling it preacher and the winter soldier and during the finale And, and during the finale yeah yeah so anyway but that's not a movie we're talking about movies let me get to number five i'll stop wasting time i kind of went by this is how i ranked them according to my perceived no how i perceive the success they had in convincing me Mm. to even agree with their message like maybe it was looking back i was like you know i actually did buy into what they were selling and so it's a combination of things all of these movies are movies that i liked in some way shape or form and i as i look back on them i'm like yeah i think i actually kind of bought into the message there so number five for me is wally pixar's wally yes i Love this movie, by the way. Like overall, as a movie with the characters, the story, the animation, I think it's a fantastic Pixar movie. I think it's one of their more overlooked Pixar movies when you compare it to some of the others that they have in their library, which is incredible. Um, but of course, this movie is talking a lot about environmentalism, global warming, you know, taking care of your planet, or here's the effects of what could happen. But also, it addresses things like general health and well-being what happens when you don't take care of yourself and so right. it's general health health of your planet health of yourself how important it is to connect with each other as human beings you know the, the dangers of technology i mean this movie when you really think about it has a ton of points of view that it's communicating some of them more subtle than others but i bought into it because i immediately saw like oh that's a dangerous thing we don't want to do that i don't want to be some fatty who can't walk just because <laughs> i all i do is eat and sit all day you know um, I don't want to ruin our planet. I don't want cute little robot to have to stack up all of our garbage. So I mean, I do want that robot <laughs> to stack up all my garbage, but no, you're right. I mean, Wally is an incredible film. Like the visuals, the cinematography, the yeah. music. I mean, it's just a gorgeous movie to watch. And I think that's partially where it ends up succeeding so well and getting its message across is you're like, this is just a pl- pleasure yeah. of a film to watch. Like I enjoy this. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. That was an excellent point. 
Yeah. But it doesn't end without hope. It ends with the idea right. of, hey, there's ways we can rebuild and, you know, there's a right way to do this. So I did like that too. It didn't just, it wasn't just a wagging finger saying shame on you. Also, I love how cute Wally is. Like they really humanize him. They make him so endearing as a little AI robot. character so love that movie wally worked for me in that regard and made my short list sort of my top 10 did not make my top five just because of the fact that there were some other ones that i thought were more deserving for my own criteria actually the criteria for mine pretty much changes per pick and that's (laughs) the fun of this that's the fun this isn't a ranked list at all yeah (laughs) but but they all fit under propaganda i'm just saying some were because they were more entertaining others because they were more effective got it others like number five on my list because they are so hilariously similar to, and actually featured on a previous hurt. So good episode, go back and listen to the episode where we talk about China salesman because China salesman is number five on my list. I've never seen it, but I do remember you guys talking about it. Yeah. It's uh, available on Netflix and it is Chinese propaganda, but it's made as an actual film. It's not just like a documentary Though it all it the hilarious thing is you get into watching it is it tries to pass itself off as a based on a true story type of film about how a Chinese IT representative staved off a uh, the Europeans attempt to in uh, instigate civil war in Africa and then this it salesman this Chinese IT salesman staved off the civil war and introduced. 3G to the continent of Africa and revolutionize the world. Whoa. We, it's all thanks Whoa. to this Chinese salesman who, uh, who did it all and did it all with Mike Tyson in the film. Mike Tyson's in that movie? Mike Tyson is in the film. Steven Seagal is in the film. Both of them there to cash that paycheck. So this is very clearly a pro-China film. Oh yeah, that, it's made okay. by studios okay. that are owned by the Chinese government. Okay, gotcha. like they funded it. It's their studios. This is the when you watch it, you're it is hilarious. The pro-China uh, propaganda, the level of it is laugh out loud funny, and then the fact that they shoehorn Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson into the film to try to make it look like no, this is a legit action movie. It's American. You're going to love it. Like I can just see them in their board meeting like, oh, the Americans, they're going to love this. It has Mike Tyson. It has Steven Seagal. Those guys crush over there. It reminds me of that Jim Gaffigan bit when he does the French voice like, how stupid do I think the Americans are? I think we can sell those idiots water. Yeah, it's exactly that except with a Chinese accent, which I'm not going to attempt. We neither one of us should. No, neither of us should do that. But yeah, the the, the posters for this film show Tyson and Seagal as though this is some like they're going to fight to the death. This is a movie about them. It is hardly about them at all. It is all about this Chinese IT salesman and how he saves Africa and the world and introduces 3G cell service. Man. So are you, did you buy in? Did you believe it? Are you pro China? I mean, I have, I used to have a cell phone that had 3G on it. So I think I was bought in without even realizing it. At least to a certain extent you were bought in. Yeah. Like, thank you, China. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that I had it all, this one dude to thank. They had you hook, line and sinker. So uh, it's not effective propaganda. They did not get me, but it is one of the more fun 
heard so good films that we've watched. So I do recommend that it's on Netflix. It, when it's that say. on the nose with the propaganda, it's harder to buy into it. It's yeah. the ones that communicate it with a story with characters you care about. That's when it's tough to yeah. resist it. Yep. So it's not effective as propaganda, but it's highly effective for fun. Yeah. Now, do we? We're doing the snake draft style. Do you give yep. us your number four? No, number four for you. We oh, we bounce back and forth, not snake draft style. <clears throat> All right. So for me, this one was tough because, as I made my list, I realized these. I'm going to name four movies. They're all the same story. Ah. I mean, same. Same with air quotes. All right, same story. But when you hear the movies I mentioned, you'll have to agree these are pretty similar. Avatar from James Cameron. Uh-huh. Dances with Wolves. Yep. With Kevin Costner. Pocahontas. Yep. And The Last Samurai. Absolutely. Which is one that I had never really connected in that list until I was thinking through my list. I was like, Last Samurai is really similar to Avatar and Dances with Wolves. So I put those all together in one clump. First of all, I enjoyed all those movies at various levels, various times that I've watched them um, for different reasons, the visuals, the acting, whatever it is. I've enjoyed them. Um, But these movies are so blatantly anti-colonization, pro-tradition, and with the underlying core theme of modernizing is evil. Like, at least that's the theme that I pick from it, pick up yeah. from it. Um, and the, by the way, I am not implying that these are bad themes. I'm not because there are certain elements of these that I'm like, yeah, this is true. Like, sure. I mean, sometimes keep going, colonizer. <laughs> so I feel like it's one of those things. They all also have the theme of colonization of the more powerful um, culture is inevitable and it's sad, but let's take a moment to appreciate the tradition. Like all of it kind of has that feeling to it, maybe with some exception there, but like last samurai dances with wolves certainly has those vibes of it's coming. You can't stop it. Um, but we want you to root for the other, for, for the underdogs anyway. Um, so anyway, those, I, I enjoyed all those movies, at least to a certain extent. I got to point out though, avatar was so on the nose in certain moments. Like, I remember Giovanni Ribisi's character is describing why they need to be here on this planet mining. And it's because they're trying to get this super valuable metal called unobtainium. And it, and it happens, there's a huge deposit of it right underneath this very sacred tree for the, you know, the tribal people that live there. And it's just a lot of that was way on the nose, um, but didn't make the visuals any less, uh, appealing on the overall story any to me at least any less it's a great enjoyable. 3d film for sure yeah. if yeah. you could only keep one which one which one do you would you keep to rewatch? i probably it's a tough one for me between dances with wolves and last samurai but i'd probably go mainly because i'm a child of the 90s i'd probably go dances with wolves i also mm. love the score sure. like say what you want about the movie itself and some people don't like Kevin Costner. I do. Again, maybe it's because I'm a child of the night. Like I was born in the '80s, and so '90s was a lot of my formative years. So I love Kevin Costner, uh, even though he's not a very he doesn't have a very broad range. Yeah. If I'm being Answer with Wolves was one of the first PG-13 movies I watched. Me too. I was allowed I was to stay like, up late with my yeah. parents to watch it. Yeah. 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 Um, I I do love that movie, and it, there, I admit there's probably some nostalgia there. I did watch rewatch it again this past year, and I still loved it. But I'm sure others would say this is pretty dated. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I would probably keep Last Samurai. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit more modern. It's going to take longer to feel dated. It's a really good one. I love. And it's Last a Samurai. solid flick. Yeah, it's a solid flick. Number four on my list. There's also some nostalgia in both because it came out in my childhood, and it's like. 
designed around a time period that just in America feels very nostalgic. And that is the Iron Giant. Yeah. An anti-weapons, anti-nuclear war treatise by Brad Bird. Uh, I mean, just a great noir film. I mean, Brad Bird is great at that. He did it in The Incredibles after he Mm -hmm. did it in the iron giant, but it's another one that feels like they kind of slip it in a little bit more subtly. Like you're just watching this cool space robot, presumably space robot action comedy. Um, you know, maybe more comedy than action. A little bit of a father son relationship, sort of. You've got the, yeah, the makeshift father son relationship. You got a lot of great humor in it. It feels a little bit like a, a spy movie as well as a war film. And, then you get to the end. You know, he actually trumpets it at first on the poster. It says it came from outer space. And so you're like, oh, yeah. But then by the end, you realize, oh, it's this is about like the weapons that we use and how we use our weapons against each other and our paranoia and our fear. And this is anti-war film. Brad Bird, well done, my friend. <laughs> Subtle. I applaud you. And I do like that movie as well. That one was on my short list, just like you was in my top 10. Didn't make my final five, but I like, I like that movie number one and I don't necessarily hate the message that they landed it to be honest. Yeah. Harry Connick Jr. Is a gem. He is. And I think Jennifer Aniston does a voice of the Jennifer Aniston's in it. And for those of you that don't know, Vin Diesel plays the iron giant. (gasps) Dude. He's been good at that for years with Groot. And most recently with, uh, what was the character he just did? There's another character he did that can't talk very much. But anyway, I'll pull it'll, it up while you later. forget about it. But yeah, it's like basically Vin Diesel and Alan Tudyk. They're like the two voice actors that are just in every, they just will do every voice acting opportunity that they can. Yep. Yep. Good movie. Number three movie. for you. For me. Uh, so this is going to get real dark, real fast. I started with Wally and then with a couple of like PG 13 or PG action adventure movies. Well, now we're going with a straight rated R kind of thriller horror film uh get out get out so get out is certainly comes with some content caveats just in terms of it's very dark and it's very heavy i think it is an absolutely amazing movie i i, I this movie care. this movie just knocked me back i don't know that i could rewatch it too many times because it's it's it, there's a lot that to unpack but boy is it good and the acting is superb uh but this really is it's a, it has a message of the depths and darkness of racism and control. It still exists, but the message that kind of took me a while to process, because to, in the movie, you're really concerned with your main character and some of the twists and some of the betrayals that happen and then the dire situation he's in and you want him to get out of it and then how it resolves. You want to see how everything resolves. But upon thinking about it later, I, I really saw the picture that Jordan Peele was painting with even in a very seemingly safe and peaceful suburb, that's sometimes where it's most dangerous for folks who are uh, who have uh, racism coming against them, who are feeling the effects of it, who are feeling oppressed by it. And something that I, as a, if you can't tell by listening to me talk, as a very white guy, don't experience. I don't know what that's like, um, but it's scary. The idea of it's very scary. So that movie... Um, even though the, as a thriller horror movie, it was intense and it was well done and boy, it had me on the edge of my seat. But then as it made you think afterwards, most horror movies and really violent movies too, it does have some violence in it. Most of them don't make me think afterwards. Right. They don't stick and, with you. Oh man, this is a 
phenomenal film. And so I loved the point of view, propaganda, message, whatever you want to call it, that this movie had. And I know it's probably a stretch to even use the word propaganda, but the underlying message of this movie, strong enough to make my list, I had to include it. Yeah, this was one that uh, we've talked about at length on this podcast because it was on my backlist. And so we watched it and uh, dug into it. Um, and, you know, if if you take the loose sense of propaganda and that it wasn't produced by the government to tell any particular message, but it is information yeah. that does have it is being used to promote or publicize a particular point of view. Right. Um, you know, Get Out does that very effectively, like almost too effectively. Jordan Peele, uh, something that was fascinating to learn from some of the behind the scenes stuff that's on like the DVD for Get Out is he actually had a different ending for Get Out in oh. in the books. Like he, the movie was ready to be released with a even darker ending. Oh boy. Okay. Because of how strongly he felt he needed to hit the emotional tenor of the message that you're talking about that, Hey, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface, this racism, this discrimination exists and you yeah. need to be aware of it because it can dress itself up in sheep's clothing right. and bite you when you're not looking for it. And then the 2016 election happened a couple of months before the film was about to release. Right. Yeah. And he was like, Holy crap. The whole country just learned this. I need to give this a happier ending so that people can see that there's hope in spite of the fact that How this about exists. that? I feel like I remember you guys, you mentioned this maybe in, yeah, in the episode. Yeah, we did talk about it? about it in that episode. This sounds, this sounds familiar. Yeah, so okay. he he actually had to change to make it slightly more hopeful uh, because he the message actually got made in culture before his movie released. Yeah. And he was like, shoot. He's like, I yeah. guess... Uh, my movie's not going to be as surprising as some people thought, but it's still yeah. really well done. So yeah, that was very, a very eye-opening movie for me personally. One, it's funny that, uh, that my number three is not get out, but mm -hmm. was one that was eye-opening for me because of what the way it changed my heart on a social issue that, um, was very prevalent, um, at like around the time and shortly after the time that this film came out and one that I was pretty just ignorant of. Um, like I was aware that it was happening. I was aware that there were problems, but I didn't pay any attention to it. And this film, uh, surprised me. My dad, um, had actually like gone out of town. Like I was, I was an adult. I wasn't living with my family. I had kids of my own, but my dad came back from this business trip and he was like, I watched this movie in theaters. Let, I'd like to take you to see it yourself. Cause it changed my mind. Like, or, but he didn't tell me that up front. He told me that later. He's like, I want to take you to see this film. It's a pretty sweet sci-fi action film was basically how he pitched it up front. And it was uh, Elysium, which was directed by Neil Blomkamp, stars Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, Shalto Copley. And uh, so we went to the little cheap dollar theater here in town uh, back when it was still a legit dollar theater. And you pay your, give your little dollar bill and you get your ticket. And uh, we watched Elysium and I was just stunned. One, I just like, what Neil Blomkamp does as a filmmaker. I think he makes some really cool, gritty sci-fi type films. He, does. he definitely does. Yeah. You know, District 9 being another great example of that. <clears throat> Chappie, even if you don't like the movie Chappie, it has that same grimy yes. sci-fi vibe. Yep. Um, and yet the message about this, the excess and the material inequality that pervades in our world and, and the desperation of those that are marginalized by systems that of 
of inequality that propped the rest of us up in many ways was devastating to me. Like it really hit me. And that was what I found out later was like the extra reason behind my dad wanting to take me to see it was like it, it impacted him as a, you know, 50 plus year old man, you know, who had grown up in middle America, very conservative circles, like who just think very differently on these types of issues. And it softened his heart. Yeah. Um, and changed sort of his approach to these to these issues and it made him more compassionate in in his worldview from this sci-fi film with Matt Damon. Did you like the movie overall too? I actually did. And it yeah. was a funny one because I've talked about it since and some people have said, oh, because the message was so strong, I really didn't like it. And yeah. this that, movie gets a bad rap. I think it's really and good. So I remember watching it. Unfortunately, I didn't go in without any context i remember when this came out there was a older gentleman at our church very old school church and he was an old even old school for that church mm. and i remember we were having a conversation there was a group of and i say he was old but he really wasn't he was probably in his 40s maybe 50s um it's just he had a very old school mindset sure. and uh, very very old conservative and so he before I could even say like, oh, we, I think we're going to rent Elysium. This was after it had already come out on video. We're going to get from Redbox or something yeah. or whatever it was, Netflix DVDs, whatever we were doing. And uh, and he gave me this big like, oh, but watch out. You know, they're going to try to convert you to socialism. You know, it's all like this is anti-capitalism. And so I remember he kind of painted the picture before I even saw the movie. So um, I'm watching this movie, unfortunately, with my radar up full on listening and watching for these messages and I, I noticed them. It's not like, so I didn't really have a, a true chance to, for the movie's message to get to me. Instead, mm -hmm. I just kind of, I knew the message ahead of time. So that way it didn't really hit me. Kind of but I, filtered I, I, I did like the movie. I remember thinking like this movie visually is pretty great. Cause I love yeah. district nine. I think this one also has great visuals and the performances were good. The action sequences are good. Maybe you don't like the way the story goes, I suppose, but in general, it's the underdog hero, rises up to take on someone way more powerful and wealthy than him. I mean, isn't that a lot of movies? Yeah, so it's kind of in a couple of, it's, I think it's a thing. Uh, so anyway, I'm with you. That made my short list, but because I sort of had, you know, the spoiler conversation would be an interesting one. I sort of had the message spoiled for me uh, without any yeah. plot revealed. And it sort of took the wind out of the sails. I think of how that could have hit me. I don't know. That makes sense. Yep. Number two for you. All right, so these top three actually get out, and then these next two, they're all pretty close. So you, I could probably in, interchange these just because I enjoyed them a lot. High nostalgia factor, not not so much for Get Out, that's newer. Um, but also, it wasn't until looking back on them later, a movie that I thought was super cool, that I realized, oh, it really gave me a view of something I didn't really put together. Mm -hmm. So for me, number two is going to be Top Gun. Oh, and yeah. I loved this movie. I remember seeing this movie. It was after I had been out for a little while. We watched, I think we had a VHS copy with like the paper or, you know, cardboard sleeve. And, um, and my, my dad and mom are always nearby to fast forward the intimate scene. The vulnerable scene? <laughs> no, not that one. That one they let play. It was, there was some, you know, it's got the classic song. I don't have to go into it. I've never, um, so the Top Gun is on my backlist, Hall of Shame. Oh, I've never it? seen Top Gun. I named one of my kids Maverick and I've never seen Top Gun. Wow. That is very crazy. Yeah. Did you see the Mel Gibson I have Western seen the, at least? I have seen the Mel Gibson Western. Okay. All right. At least you've seen something with Maverick in it. Wow. Uh, anyway, so I loved this movie. I thought it was so cool. And, and again, this is early 90s, Tim. We were actually missionaries at the time, so... 
I was losing touch quickly with what was actually cool in America. We were kind of missionary kids living on our own. So you come back, you're like, yo, bros, I love when, Top Gun. When I saw like, Top Gun, I thought it was the coolest. I wanted, I wanted nothing but fighter jet toys and, you know, like Top Gun stickers, decals, whatever. I, like, I, I wanted that so bad. I wanted to be a pilot for a good chunk of my childhood right there because it was so cool. And so looking back on it, I didn't know this. This movie was primarily funded by the U.S. government. I didn't know this either until I was doing research for this segment. And not only that, they had some say on how certain scenes could portray certain things. For example, one example that kept coming up, I'm sure you saw this, was there's a character that gets killed off in the movie and they didn't show it. And so, or there's, a certain, or there's a certain way they, there's a certain way they wanted to show it. I forget the details, yeah. but there was a certain way that they, anyway, they got to speak into even yeah, the creative process. Like on screen. There was something about, yeah, something about the death of the, but anyway, even in general, the way things are being portrayed, as long as the Navy is the hero here, this was Navy recruitment 101 and we can criticize it all we want, but it worked. Like, it worked for their purposes. It, I mean, apparently the enlistment numbers just spiked like crazy when this movie hit. And this is also kind of a star making turn for Tom Cruise, who was already well known, but this really, I think, catapulted him into the stratosphere. And this was like Val Kilmer also getting started. This one was, you know, back when he was uh, young and he had such swagger. Like when if you watch this movie, like Val Kilmer has so much swagger, maybe not to the level of Doc Holliday from Tombstone, like I'll be your Huckleberry, maybe not quite that much swagger, but Val Kilmer was the epitome of swagger in the late 80s, early 90s. But anyway, Top Gun. I think they completely com uh, convinced me being a pilot's cool. Fighting for your country's cool. The other countries stink. I want to shoot them down. Like, dude, it worked on me. There you have it. Tim, not living out his lifelong dream of being a pilot right now. <laughs> I'm definitely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but I got a pilot's chair right here and I got my Coke Zero and I'm all set. I'm all set. It's close enough. Go America. Number two on my list dips us back into animated territory once again. And really the more kid, this is the kid-friendly version of Get Out when you think about it. Uh, oh. And that is 2016's Zootopia. I'm dying to know how this is like Get Out. Please draw these connections for me. Well, if you think about it, uh, Zootopia came out in 2016. Get Out came in 2017. So it did. Jordan Peele really, but what you have is a society where there's this racial tension right between that's true predators and non-predators right yeah and and they're they try to get along right you know they try to integrate but there's this tension bubbling and it's not really working the rap you know you have your meat eaters versus your non-meat eaters and they they're trying to integrate and they try to have these nice cities and these pleasantries but simmering under the surface is a lot of tension and then it boils over into violence and into suppression and the marginalization of the other yep, and prejudice. And so I, I got to just think that Jordan Peele saw that and said, yeah, Zootopia, but a horror film. <laughs> so he was inspired by that. That was his first pitch. Yeah. So I he, do remember people getting, and of course everything is politicized. It's even worse than it was five years ago when Zootopia came out. But yeah. even then there was a lot of politicization politicalization how do we say that word yeah that's the word uh around zootopia and i remember we had thankfully my wife and i had already seen it and we were you know the kids are gonna watch this they're gonna love it and then we started hearing the rumblings about propaganda about whatever and then the more i thought about it, the more i was like yeah but isn't that a good message like 
how it uh, anyway i digress yeah i think like sometimes i love that pick and it's actually was not on my short list it should have made it as something to be considered because i agree not only did i love that movie i love that movie but I feel like the message is a good one and it totally won me over too. like, Hey, yeah, this discrimination is horrible. Yeah. Right. So. And it, and it's subtle and it kind of, and it was very nuanced in yeah. its approach to, to dealing with it. It wasn't just this good, these people, good, these people, bad. It was, right. Hey, this is complex and this is complicated and good people make bad decisions. And there's a lot of gray area as people are living their lives and, you know, they get stuff right and they get stuff wrong and we got to work together to figure this out. Like it's not always going to be cut and dry and it's going to take, and it's painful and we're going to get hurt. And there are people who have been hurt for a long time by this, but there is hope we can, we can do this better. And it's a surprisingly complex like approach to the message for a kid's animated cartoon. Like if you go back and rewatch it because it's, it's actually a legit like crime film too and comedy and a buddy cop film. And you're like, it, it works on so many other levels that you're like, this is rewatchable and whoa, did they like, did I miss that the first time I watched it? Like I've seen it three times and I feel like I see something new every time. Yeah. It does have little elements of some of my favorites over the years, like your lethal weapons and stuff like that. Like yep. the buddy cop, you're right. It de- definitely has that, but yeah, the message there is certainly strong and I liked it. So that would have been a contender for sure. That, that probably would have been right up there with Wally in that number five spot, yeah. you know, with messages no, I, I agree you, with you. and I love. Yeah. Time for number one. Number one for me. Let's take a visit back to old Neil Blomkamp. I'm going to go with District 9. District 9. One of my favorite sci-fi movies outside of whatever message it's trying to communicate. I mean, we already talked about his ability to create a grimy sci-fi universe that's very believable. It feels like this could really happen or maybe is really happening. If you were to catch a flight over to South Africa, maybe you'd see this. He just has a really uncanny ability to take sci-fi and futuristic ideas and inject them into reality as we know it. So I, I loved that. Um, if you haven't seen D- District Nine, the you should first of all. I, I think it's an excellent film, but it was again. It's one of those ones that it wasn't until later that I really kind of processed some of the messages that were in there and how I think about things today. But it really gave me some, like, made me feel very emotional anytime I see imprisonment, government control, segregation based on some kind of difference, whether it's refugee or not. When you see these camps set up in a real world setting with white tents everywhere and they're kind of fenced in, it's hard for my stomach not to drop. Like, oh, what are we doing here? And I'm not saying there's a better way. I'm not saying I know the solution. I'm not. I'm just saying it just kind of makes my heart hurt when I see that, this idea of separating people based on these differences. Of course, in the movie, it's an alien species. It's totally different, but it's played as being very similar I think you yeah. know, this idea of population control, keeping them contained, but most importantly and most scarily, it's the idea of multinational corporations having equal or greater power than the government of the country where they're operating or multiple countries where mm-hmm. they're operating. And that I think was a scary message that took me a while to really process because I think that's happening. We're seeing that all the time now. Um, these corporations that are that have so much government sway and control across the world i think i don't even think that was i mean i think neil was clearly telling people that like hey this is happening now by the way this is not in the future this is now and this right. movie came out in 2000 2009 2009, 2009. 
Uh, oh my gosh. Oh, one other thing about Facebook this movie. Facebook was a baby when this movie came out. Yeah, but Facebook was barely starting. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but they also did a great job of showing how media can paint the narrative that the corporations and governments want it to paint. Mm-hmm. So if you do watch this, watch how they, they cut to a whole bunch of different news stories and the way they talk about it, the way that they shoot it for, you know, for their news segment is all very carefully orchestrated and planned to paint a certain picture of things and paint a certain narrative about these aliens and about people. So very fascinating stuff. And it's one of my personal favorite movies. Like I, I don't think I've ever really done a true top 10, top 20 movies list. This one would be certainly fighting for a spot on it. If not on it. I love this movie. Yeah. When we did our, when Paul and I did our top 100, which is our combined top 50 list, this made oh. my top 50 list. Um, and, and it's funny because it came out in that time of my life where I was transitioning from teenagehood into adulthood. Yeah. And, and so I was pretty ignorant of most of like the complexities of the world, right? You're kind of aware of some of the top level stuff going on in the world. You learn about some stuff in your history class and, you know, maybe through the news from your parents, but like it was, I I didn't know much about apartheid. I didn't know much about South Africa in that regard or Mandela or anything like that. So I didn't know much about that region or, you know, the history of apartheid in general. And so it's one of those where like, to your point, that message flew right over my head Yeah. the first time I watched this. This was just a straight up sci-fi action film in my mind. Yeah. And, it's, and you're watching a character go through desperation to yeah. survive, you know, and yeah. Mm-hmm. But as over the years, you come back to it. And this also made my short list where uh, like it didn't end up beating out Elysium because Elysium like hit me right in that moment. But District yeah. 9 has been one of those where I went back and was like, Holy crap, like now that I know more about these things, like yeah, mm-hmm. that that did it and it did it really effectively and and ultimately probably a le- slightly less preachy way than Elysium. For sure. Uh so it's eerily similar like our top one picks like how close they are just in terms of tone even though they're not Neil both Neil Blomkamp films. Number at least one, where you're number one, that'd been crazy. But yeah, number yeah. one on my list uh is from 2005. Also R-rated um, and directed by another famous director who does a lot of has like when you look at his catalog, you're like, oh, he's actually done a ton of like message pseudo propaganda films of his own. And that is Judd Apatow and his film, The 40 Year Old Virgin. I've seen this movie. Tell me what message I received when I watched this movie. What was this? Tim, saving yourself from marriage is a really positive thing for relationships Mm. and really healthy. Waiting to have – like not making sex the priority of a relationship actually makes your relationship healthier and more robust. I remember when The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out and I saw trailers for it and I just – you knew from the trailers. You're like, yep, this is just a raunchy, R-rated bro comedy that's going to be all about getting laid. and. That is technically what it, it has is. those elements. It has sure. some of those elements in it yep. for sure. Yep. But I remember being so stunned when I watched this movie and I was like, wait a second, the Virgin is the hero and he ends up convincing other people that, you know what? We've been over prioritizing sex and relationships and mm. it's actually good to get to know people and to, you know, delve into their heart and their soul and to, you know, build a relationship around their personality and who they are as a human being. And 
like he actually ends up convincing the woman that he's seen in the film, you know, they decide to be celibate until they get married. And yep. you're like, what in the world? This is an R-rated raunchy rom-com, bro comedy rom-com that is actually pro waiting to have sex until you get married. Yeah. I had kind of honestly kind of forgotten the resolution to that movie, but I did remember the overall theme of him winning people over without necessarily trying to, he wasn't preaching. Right. It he wasn't was, like, don't he was misunderstand me. Was, for a while not to be a virgin. Yeah. He was trying to get, yeah. And so he, uh, I forgot that that's kind of how it resolves. And so that's true. That is a strong message that's coming through it. That movie was surprisingly sweet for as raunchy as it was. I do remember that. I do remember it was like Steve Carell's first big movie role other yeah, than being in the office. Out. Um, so he became a movie star as well as TV star. And I remember Jane Lynch made me laugh so hard in every scene she was in. Yeah. So uncomfortably forward and she's so funny. But anyway, all that to say, I love that reminder that that's how that movie resolves. Cause that makes me remember it with a little more fondness. Cause I remember thinking, I like this, but I don't think I can recommend it to folks. Cause it's pretty bad. Like it's pretty yeah. dirty. <laughs> right. It's still not the one where you're going to be like, all right, come on over. Let's watch on, a virginity film. <laughs> Virginity but, madness. But at the same time, like I remember just being like even somebody who agreed with that message watching the film and being surprised when I was like, that's the message. It just really and it like did it in a really positive way. Like it starts with everybody mocking this character and making fun yeah. of him and him being desperate not to be this nerdy loser who hasn't had sex. And then like one by one, without him trying, he's not trying to preach and be like, everybody become a virgin like me. He's really He's ashamed of it for half the film, but yeah. then as he start he starts dating this woman, and she's confused by the fact that he's not pushing her to have sex, and That's right. he starts to yep. like get into relationship with the kids, and they start to see he's more genuine, and he's spending time with them. He's not just chasing their mom's skirt, like, and he ends up like being a huge part of this family's healing because he's just not sex obsessed and just trying to knock you know, get, have sex, get with their mom. Yeah. Yeah. And it ends up having this healing effect where the, the, as they get into a deeper relationship and get engaged, she's like, I don't want to until we get married. Like she makes mm -hmm. the choice of her own because she sees how healthy it is for her breaking negative, like relationship patterns and uh, self, you know, care and self thought patterns in herself and how it builds her family back up and her teenage kids. And, you're like, holy cow, what is this movie? <laughs> it's one of the only movies you could call both raunchy and wholesome at the same time. Until you get to the rest of Judd Apatow's uh, catalog and you're like, knocked up, super pro-life. It is. It's incredible. Like the pretty much the only villain in Knocked Up is the one pro-choice character. Yep. And then, of course, this is 40, very family-friendly, like affirming of marriage and... Even his movies yeah, that don't know, have as straightforward of a message like that, they still have the ones I've seen. I haven't seen in everything in his catalog, but the ones I've seen of his, they they maintain a certain level of sweetness to their characters, or at least a, an element of them growing as a person, which a lot of times is going to have at its core a value that I agree with, yeah. even if the movie's going to have a bunch of content that I'm like. Paul Acey would not approve of this. <laughs> Content caveat with Paul Acey. He's going to listen to this and be like, he put 40-year-old virgin at number one. And he's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I don't care what list it is. <laughs> Never. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you didn't put like sausage party or something up there. You're probably fine. I mean, uh, still the single greatest plugged in movie review that Paul AC has ever written. It was, I recommend everyone go find it and read it. Uh, there you have it. What are your favorite propaganda slash message movies? We're sure we missed some because as Tim noted, he completely forgot about Zootopia, even though it's I did. Him. I did. So let us know uh, on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson, but Tim, where can they find you? You can find me a couple of different places, uh, but yeah, I'm also at Tim underscore Nestor on Twitter, but you can find our current gen podcast as well, which is actually at Jen underscore current Ooh. on Twitter. Look at you. Yeah. At Jen underscore current. And now it's time for the most least important thing. We've arrived at the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, making mountains into molehills and taking molehills, taking lots of molehills. I just take the dirt from all the molehills and I stack them on top of each other until I've made a veritable mountain. And I say, look, I am the king of this mountainous molehill. That's what we do at in the most least important thing, the way mm. we love to wrap up every single little show. Tim, since you are the guest, mm. would you like to go first today? Sure. Uh, first of all, I love the visual there. I'm just picturing Jake sitting in a yard, gathering up all the dirt from these various molehills to create his own little throne. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic visual. So there's a lot that I could pick here. Sure. Because this is the most least important thing. I mean, it could go any direction. I jotted down a few options. I could talk about college football starting, one of my favorite things. I could talk yeah. about the Matrix trailer that just dropped today, actually, the day that we're recording this. It just dropped. It's hot. It's fresh. It's but timely. I'm not going to talk about those things. I'm going to talk about one of my biggest burger letdowns that I've had. Ooh. I'm a I fan was... of burgers and all stories, good and bad about burgers. So I was led to believe that now here in the great city of Colorado Springs resides one of the great West Coast burger joints that's finally made it's making its way east and it's infiltrating <clears throat> even our state here and our city here. And so there were lines, I mean, wrapping around to the main road. If you, you know, it's one of those, the setup of where this place is is actually really poorly designed. The parking lot setup where you can actually pull in and get to a spot is horribly designed. So if anyone over there, and city planning is listening. What are you doing? That is horrible. It's bad. It's really bad. But my wife and I find we actually had free, um, like a free card for a free meal. Well, look at that. So we decided let's go to In and Out Burger, which we've heard nothing but amazing things about. And especially if it's folks from California, they will talk about how amazing it is. And there's a secret menu. And by the way, it's not a secret menu. It's just a slightly different way to have them prepare the same just, menu. And that they don't put on the menu to make it convenient for you to order it that way. Right. So I get that it's not there and you can just say, make it this way. It's not that big. It's not that better, much better. But anyway, so we went to In-N-Out. We got a couple of burgers, a couple of orders of fries. We sat and waited. I liked the the building was pretty new obviously it just got built it looks nice the ambiance was it's nice crisp. it's crisp cool. it's clean yeah. kind of has a little bit of a throwback diner look to it with not without being really kitschy you know yeah. i mean they have them wear the hats they wear the hats it's got some old school pictures of in and out back in the day when it first started when burgers were 15 cents or whatever it's all very charming 
and then they called our number. We went to get our food <clears throat> and brought it back to sit down. And the first thing, because I, I went and got it. And of course, as I'm guilty of doing, if I'm the one going to get the tray, a lot of times I'll grab a fry to chomp on the way back to our seat. So I grabbed one because I was told how good the fries are. Who told you that? Oh, sorry. I spoiled the story. <laughs> I, got I don't angry. know. I don't, I don't know who told me this, but people ever tell me how amazing the fries are, how amazing the burgers are. Pop the fry in. And my face, as I, before I got back to my seat, my wife saw it right away. I was like, ugh. Yeah. Like, as I was chewing on the fry. Yeah. Because not only did it not taste like a potato, but it tasted, it reminded me of, if you've ever had a steak and shake uh, meal and you keep their little, little mini fries, like the little. Um, Shoestring. Yeah, the little shoestring type fries. And you can also buy them as a snack, you know, when they come. They're very small and they're crispy yeah. little miniature French fries. It kind of tasted like one of those, but was bigger and had been heated up in a microwave. That's just what I just kind of had that vibe. That it wasn't. So we did add a lot of salt to it, which did help. But at that point, it was just a vehicle for the salt, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. But I didn't think that, that they tasted good. I thought the texture was really bad. It kind of left a mealy uh-huh. aftertaste and feeling after eating those. I was like, I don't know if these are potatoes, babe. I'm I think these you. are. These are not good French fries. We're like, you know what? It's fine. Not every place has great fries. Although I would actually rank places like McDonald's and Burger King over in and out for their fries. Absolutely. Um, but I was like, you know what? Let's check the burger out because this is what it's really about. Yeah. Maybe the fries aren't that big of a deal. So we started eating the burger and I didn't make that same like grossed out face because it wasn't bad. It's not a bad burger. It didn't make me put it down and say I'm going to get our money back. But honestly... It hit me about as strongly as a Sonic burger hit me. It was like, oh, now that's interesting. Like I remember, we actually had a gift card to Sonic, and we're not fans of Sonic. Although I do like the aesthetic and the drive-in, I, I like all that stuff about Sonic. I just their food actually isn't that good. Yeah, but I have always thought of Sonic as it's fine. And if you have a free gift card to go there, fine, get some free food. I just it's pretty low on my list of fast food stops. Yeah, and I got to tell you, In and Out is right down there beside it. I might put it slightly above it. If I really had them side by side, their burger is probably a little better than Sonic's. But I had that same vibe of like, I feel like I'm wasting a meal here, even though it's free. Interesting. I would have rather gone, like, of course, there's places that are astronomically better. Your Five Guys, your Crave Burgers, your Red Robins, I think are just way better. But that's not maybe not a fair comparison. I would have rather we would have just swung through Wendy's and grabbed a couple Junior Bacon Cheeseburgers. And I think I would have enjoyed our date night much more. Interesting. So I, I don't fully agree with you on the burgers, but it's, I've also had an, enough burgers there that it's like, I know you can get like a bad batch and that happens. And that there's times where I'm like, this is a really good burger and times where I'm like, this is a pretty mediocre burger. What so makes I'm, a good burger? Like, I think when, when they're on, like when you get a good one, it's hot, it's juicy. You've got the right like level of condiments and ratio of pickles and tomato and lettuce on it. So, and sauce. So that like, when you take that bite, you get the meatiness dominates, but then you get the sauce kind of coming over the top. You get the, the bite of the vegetables kind of coming through. And I think that's a pretty good burger for me. And hopefully if they've put the vegetables on the right timing, they're actually still a little bit cold. So right. you actually have the cold, cold tomato cold. and lettuce. Yeah, exactly. Get that and that's through. the same thing with Chipotle. Best Chipotle is when you eat it right there yeah. while you got the warm food and cold food. Anyway. Okay. But and to me, it wasn't that any of the ingredients were bad. The bun was fine. It was, and I actually just tested this by pulling out a piece of just the burger okay. and it tasted so bland. Interesting. 
And I know that you're supposed to order it. Um, animal or what? What are they? It's either animal or wild style. Drifters used to be wild style, maybe. Yeah, there's a local chain that gets me all confused. But the idea is that they will kind of infuse it with mustard really and some other style. flavorings. Yeah. yeah. Um, to make it better. So I fully believe that there is a version of this burger that I would probably bump it up the list a little bit. Oh, so you I, did not get an animal style. We did not. Oh, okay. So I will so say, I don't think I've ever gotten it not animal style. So, so that might be part of the problem. That's part of the problem. But I stand by my criticism of In-N-Out that if you make a burger and you put it, present yeah. it on the menu yeah. and most of your customers are eating it this way, but you've got a much better version hidden behind the counter somewhere, I think that is ridiculous. I'm with Number you there. Number one, uh, but number two, yeah, I, I wish I would have ordered a special way. I get it; like it's kind of fun to be part of the secret club, and I kind of forgotten about that. I've eaten at the local chain called Drifters, which I think they've closed down a few of their places. They had two, now there's one. Okay, um, but they, I actually think their burgers are better, and the fries are I, way better. I, oh, the fries kick butt, and that's where I'm totally with you on the fries. Except I think, I think my take is slightly different as to why they're bad. Okay, because I've seen them make like how they make the fries. They literally just put a potato in a slicer, like fresh potato, put it through a slicer and then throw that. So you're saying they do use potatoes. They do use potatoes. And I think that's kind of why it's bad because potatoes by themselves without seasoning, without fat, without all these things that these other restaurants are using kind of suck. So we've had place there was a place in chicago we used to go all the time in the suburbs of chicago called scoobies really small little corner joint right beside a drive-in movie theater and scoobies would do the potato thing it was actually such a small little joint that most of their kitchen was exposed to the small dining room right there you kind of see everything and they would usually have a person especially on a slow night we went there all the time it was so good and they would be just slicing up the potatoes just putting them in their little slicer machine almost like a can crushing Mm -hmm. machine and just just slice them they They fall into these baskets deep fry them they put their seasoning on there their fries were amazing it's the seasoning in and out doesn't do it they just drop them in the oil and then they give them to you and and then they want they rely on you apparently there's ways to order the fries to give them a little more you can also order the fries animal style but they just put sauce and like a piece of plastic cheese on it and some onions like it it helps yeah but again to your point it's just a vehicle for these other toppings but it like it gets cold really quick and now you've just got these cold plasticky cheese with sauce like the fries in and out are just i think personally objectively bad you know personally and objectively bad yeah i agree so we're at the point now where we will no longer voluntarily just say, hey, let's go get some in and out We're both at the point that unless a friend is like, hey, let's grab a meal, all but I'm paying and I love in and out then we would probably go because they're paying. Sure. Otherwise, sorry, California, you did not deliver. No, it it doesn't hold up. The fries, I do not get the – like I, can, I cannot understand how you can be so bad. Like they're yeah. – and I don't want to pay for them. Any style. Yeah, I wanted that to be our hurt so good was the Yeah. They're mm-hmm. so bad they're good. Yeah, yeah. But it's not true. It doesn't work. But it's not it's not doesn't work at all. Anyway, so, yeah. so I know that went on for a while. I'm also hungry now that we're talking about burgers. But um but yeah, in and out, let down, that's my most least important most thing. least important thing. For me, in honor of Tim being the guest host for this episode and him being a co host of the current gen podcast, I went video game theme in that uh 
one of the other things that's fresh off the presses is some gameplay reveal from God of War Ragnarok. Oh boy. And even better than gameplay reveal for God of War Ragnarok is we finally get to see Thor and what Thor is going to look like in God of War Ragnarok. Have you seen this image, Tim? I have. I am just madly, madly pleased with the fact that they went with a fat Thor. I love it. It's so he's good. almost he's almost annoyed with Kratos. I love it. Yes. I mean he he By the is, way, it sounded like Josh Brolin in the trailer. For a second I thought, is Thanos <laughs> playing Thor? Because this is amazing. But no, it is a, a, a Australian actor, I forget his name. That's, yeah. He that's has got he has got dad bod times a hundred. He has got the he needs a man's ear, you know, from Seinfeld. <laughs> he has got the gut. Just protruding. It is absolutely I glorious. So, it's glorious. I'm so happy that God of War went with a less obvious yeah. direction for Thor and went in a fat Thor route without I going agree. the Hemsworth route. Like it's not a straight copy of the fat Thor from Marvel. And it doesn't look like it's played for laughs necessarily either. No, like he kind of looks legit like a monster, yeah. like Viking. Like yeah, you're fat, but I can see the muscle underneath that. And I think he's going to be scary. By the way. I think he's going to be kind of a scary character to deal yeah. with. But so there I you like go. that they they ended the first game from 2018. If you guys haven't played it and you own a PS4 or PS5, highly recommend God of War. My favorite game from that year, even though that year included Red Dead Redemption 2, which is also like cinematic levels out the wazoo. Amazing game, but. God of War was one of my favorite games. I loved it. And at the end, there's a little teaser, almost like post credit scene type of a moment where Thor arrives at your doorstep, right? As things are peaceful and the story has resolved and he's there, but they do a good job of not showing you anything other than the fact that you kind of see his cape blowing in the wind and he's got his hammer there and there's some lightning kind of electrifying things, but then it cuts off. So they, they left themselves a lot of room to decide how do we want to portray Thor? And I'm really happy with the direction they went. I agree yeah, completely. It's a great pick. There you have it, folks. That's it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. Thanks to current gen co-host Tim Nestor for joining the show. We appreciate you every single time you come on. Tell folks again, because I like, you know, people are forgetful. You know, mm. now they're probably ready to log in on their Twitter and find you. Where do they find you and your show, Tim? So- the show's at Jen underscore current, or you could just search Twitter for current gen podcast. And I am at Tim underscore Nestor on Twitter. And, and I, then of course, current gen podcast, you can find us yeah. on Spotify, Apple podcasts, you know, most of the, most of the uh, usual suspects for where podcasts can be found. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. You beat me to it. Yes. Perfect. Well guys, until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey Tim, now you got to say, you got to do like a real short bye. Bye. Uh, See ya. No, you didn't. No, 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 nothing. You don't add anything to it. Ugh. Oh, no, no. You, okay. Well, let's rewind. I'll say, I'll see you on the flip side. And then I, don't you, I have to do the Paul bye. I want to, I want like, that's going to be my guest host thing. Yeah. I'm going to like, have you guys try to do your best Paul imitation and do all your right. bye. All right. And uh, this is all staying in the show. This is all, yeah. this is all great radio right here. So yeah. Um, Sorry, Paul. I'm going to let me channel my inner Paul here for just a second. Yep. Okay, I'm ready. All right. That's it for this time. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.
about as good as I can get. It's about as good as it gets right there. Hash Never been one known yeah. for impersonations. So or impressions. Which one is it? Is it impersonations or impressions? I think an impression is when you're just doing the voice, and an impersonation is when you're doing a character, like you're trying to take on their. Oh, that'd be like I'm doing his mannerisms and everything. Character. Sorry, like, right. well, I'm I, not good at either, to be honest with you. You just so. all around you suck. <laughs> That's it. That's the theme. Got it. 